This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 17, A Tale of Two Brothers, The Exciting Conclusion. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your hosts, Mark Willis and Holly Bach, invite you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast. Helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us here today for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast. Uh, I'm Holly Bach, and in the studio here with me today is Katrina Willis. Hello. And Mark Willis. Hello, hello. So thank you for joining us here today, guys. And we know that last episode, we kind of started jumping into this story, uh, the tale of two brothers, George and Sam. Uh, so if you are just now tuning in, uh, please go back and listen to episode 16 first. Otherwise, um, this might be a little disjointing or, or confusing because uh, we kind of started sharing part one of the story of these two individuals' lives. And here today, we're going to kind of be wrapping up part two and looking at the long-term effects um, of how the decisions that they made early on have played out for them now and, and kind of, you know, later on in their retirement years, let's call it. Uh, so we have here right now, uh, the first, starting off here, we're going to share the kind of exciting conclusion to George and Sam's story. We're fast forwarding about 29 years. So, uh, you know, 29 years from last time we spoke, they started out as 26 29 years later. And so, Mark, um, how is George doing now, 29 years later? Yeah, we're going to, and as you listen to this story, keep an ear out for how they use the cash, liquidity, access to the cash, to the opportunity cost, the, the cost of doing one thing versus another, and also interest, the power of interest working against or for Jan George and Sam. So, those are our three little. Uh, you know, Easter eggs you might listen for as you go through part two here and the exciting conclusion of George and Sam, the parable of two brothers. Mm -hmm. Ready to roll? Yes, I'd like right. to do it. Cool. So here we are. George has been working hard to keep up with his plan to self-insure. Since his term insurance is about to expire and he's had some health issues come up, he's not sure he's going to be able to afford to get another term life insurance policy. Now that he's older, it's way more expensive. His mortgage isn't even close to being paid off either like he planned. He had to get a cash out refinance and also a home equity line of credit on his house to pay off some of the home repairs and to help his kids get through college. His credit card debt is still, still hovering around $16,000 and his car loans are still pulling about $1,000 a month from his monthly earnings. He even had to take a loan from his 401k for about $40,000 to cover some major medical expenses that weren't covered by his health insurance. George says that uh, things would have been different if he had just seen the last two market crashes coming. And if he had just gotten out of the markets in time, he'd be in a much better place. As he looks over his actual returns, they're not much better than the average investor over the last 29 years, which is about 3.6%. And by the way, that's before fees and taxes are even factored in. He's just hoping to get out of his 401k the money he's put in there. His kids are also unfolding into an interesting story. He didn't see the cost of college growing at 7%, which is basically double the rate of inflation. And his 529 plans also got slammed by the market crashes. 
His oldest kid graduated the same year the markets took uh, graduated from high school rather the same year the markets took a 50% nosedive. So George and his wife had to take out Parent Plus loans to help pay for his uh, college costs and their quote expected family contributions, uh, the money that the college expected he and his wife should contribute to help their kids go to college. He was irritated uh, at the nerve of those financial aid quote counselors. Uh, can he, can't, say, can't they see how much debt George and his wife are in? And they still want them to put more cash into college? He and his wife are finally finishing paying off their student loans only five years ago. Uh, so maybe they shouldn't have gone back to school to get that $70,000 graduate degree. He didn't even get a promotion at his work as a result of that. Of course, they really just thought of draining the brokerage accounts. But after George saw those major market corrections vaporize his account value, there's really just not much in there anyway. And he's really, really, really hoping for another market comeback to make all of his retirement dreams come true. His 401k doesn't even allow in-service distributions while he's employed at his work. Speaking of his 401k, because of all the debt he's been servicing, he had to pull way back on his contributions to his 401k, just down to the match at just a little uh, uh, at 3%, which is, uh, this is the only place he's still socking away for his future. He'd like to do a lot more, but he just can't. Too much month at the end of his money, as he says. Uh, he is proud of his 401k balance, though. He has a whole $104,000 saved up for his entire retirement. He'll have even more there once he pays back the $40,000 401k loan. He, did just, uh, he just did a calculation and found that he'll be able to take about $310 a month from his 401k to live on. Well, that's not as much as he thought. Sigh. Whereas Sam, on the other hand, has experienced a very different financial life. Sam now has six, count them, six, six. specially designed bank on yourself policies. He has two on himself, two on his wife, and one on each of his adult children, uh, with whom he started these policies with them back when they were still in diapers, so just born. And because the cash in his policies is liquid and available to him, he's been able to use the cash for various financial needs and pay himself back on his own terms. He's used the policies to purchase five cars over the years. He's used the policies to fix the roof on their house. And when he had some medical expenses come up that his health insurance didn't cover, he just paid for it, got it taken care of, done. The policies have remained a constant source of capital for investments as well. A few years ago, he dipped his toe into the waters of being a landlord. He used one of his policies to buy a rental property, and his timing couldn't have been better. It was during a major real estate market correction, or as he called it, when everything was on sale, and banks weren't lending to other comp uh, competing buyers. So he could almost name his price, and the property was his. It's all because he had started his policies over the years and had the forethought that he might need the cash available someday. Now, this rental property has been a help in paying back his policy loans and even supplementing his income needs. Now, his kids uh, just graduated from college and they're paying mom and dad back. Now, why would Sam require his kids to pay back their student loans to the bank of mom and dad? Um, and really the way Sam sees it is besides teaching them the value of education and of a dollar, he knows that every dollar his kids pay back is going straight to him and his wife for retirement. And then even ultimately uh, to their kids' inheritance since it's life insurance. And the more that they pay back on those loans, the higher their death benefit will be. 
So he's planning on gifting his kids the policies he started on them as a wedding gift someday as well. He can't wait. Now, speaking of retirement, Sam recently did some calculations and found that he'll likely be able to take out about $120,000 a year in tax-free income from his policies. He knows this with a high degree of confidence and certainty because his policies are not tied to the stock or real estate markets, and he isn't concerned that some outside force could tamper with his nest egg. He has no investment or in advisor fees, and every single year he pays his premium, and it is at this point you know, guaranteed to grow more than the money he's put in in that year, which feels pretty great to him. Now, his policies had fees or had expenses those first few years, which resulted in a negative yield early on, but those years are far gone now, you know, 29 years later. And he knew that 25 years ago when he started all of this, that what his guaranteed minimum net worth would be as of today. The returns have been slow and steady, returns of about 5%, but to Sam, the rate of return is almost an afterthought. Since he's been able to overcome the, the problem of opportunity cost, the problem of either spending on things he needed or saving for his future. Now for him, it's not either or, it's both and. All right, the exciting conclusion. So let's total up the true cost of George and Sam's different philosophies. So um, Holly, give us a little insight on some of what's going on with George and his investments specifically. Yeah, and so we'd mentioned, you know, at the beginning of episode uh, 16, so the first episode of this, that we um, really tried to keep this story as realistic and accurate as possible. And so we painted George's story and and his picture based on um, the average American's situation. And so with that, you know, we had, you know, the fact that George had 12% in his investments, that he got that in one year. But just because you got 12% in one year doesn't make it a trend and that you can project that same 12% year after year after year. And so instead, rather than getting 12% averaged over 29 years, uh, George actually averaged 3.98%. Um, over the course of those years. And, you know, that, of course, is the the Dalbar uh, study that was just released in 2017. So as recent of data as possible. What, d- say, do you, uh, say a bit more about Dalbar. You know, why is that a source that we can trust? And what is it uh, that they're trying to uh, research there? Yeah, well, they're an independent, uh, you know, resource company. Um, and so they're, you know, looking at the real uh, returns that the average American is getting after a 30-year investment time horizon. So Dalbar, an independent firm, they have no, you know, interest in sugarcoating things or painting it in a you know prettier picture. They said no. Actually, we want to get to the root of what did people actually experience over the last 30 years. And so as of 2017, uh, the average investor had actually only. Um, they actually only received an average of 3.98% over that, those 30 years. And that 3.98 is equity fund investors. So mm-hmm. those would be people investing mostly in equities, which is stock or mutual funds. You know, for folks that are blended between stocks and bonds, depends on how you're allocated, you'd have a lower return. You know, I think the average overall investor was more like 3.66%, but this is showing a, a nice healthy 3.98 <laughs> because he's been exposed to all those uh, market volatilities. That was the reward for his, you know, um, his roller coaster ride, you might say, another 30 basis points or so. Yeah, <laughs> wonderful. Good stuff. What else came through in our, in our research? 
Yes, so also we'd mentioned that his 401k balance as of age 55 was um, 104000 And so that's actually according to the uh, Government Accountability Office um, in a 2015 study that they did looking at you know how much does the average American actually have in their 401k as they're nearing those retirement years. Um, we also mentioned that his you know 401k um, had that assets under management fee of 1% and how over you know, the last 25 years that had that fee, it actually compounded and ate up over a third of his account. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, we looked at the age 55, the balance of uh, a 401k for someone who's 55 years old, because, you know, the average 401k balance is actually much lower because folks in their 20s and 30s don't have a lot and so forth. But we tried to get it right on George's current age, you know, what he'd approximately be when we check back in with him 29 years later, which is, for me, that's scary. That, that that's the average 401k balance when someone's in their mid-50s? I mean, we need to be looking at, you know, even mainstream financial planners say you need eight to 10 times your income before you can retire, which I still think is way too low. But, you know, even eight to 10 times is, is I mean, he's got basically one year's salary mm-hmm. uh, if he never had a pay raise uh, over his 29 years, which is unlikely too. So he's not in a good spot. And that would be the average financial uh, the average uh, 401k investor out there in this country, age 55. And you're exactly right about the assets that are management, Holly. You know, who took more from his 401k? Him, his investment advisor, or of course, Uncle Sam. All three of those guys uh, are fighting for a, a, the lion's share of that 401k. Wild stuff. Um, Katrina, what would you say about any of the debt related to George and, and also George's story in the later years? Well, he's still carrying the credit card debt, but in addition to the car loan payments and finishing out the mortgage, he's got a Parent PLUS loan that's outstanding now, and that's $22,500. And so at 6.8%, he's paying $259 a month in addition to all of that other debt just because his kids went to college. And that's on his record, right? Uh, He he can't uh, bankrupt that. He can't get it off. I mean, he is co-signing on a loan. So if his kids don't get a job or if they move back into the parents' basement, he and his wife, George and his wife are on the hook for that. Mm-hmm. Yikes, yikes. So we added up all of George's interest, uh, the credit card debt balance, the mortgage, the car loans, the parent plus loans. And we found that a rough estimate of how much money he is leaving his family uh, as just the interest payments, all right, not principal payoffs, nothing nothing fancy. We just wanted to know how much money is a bank making off of George every year. And that turned out to be $12,393. Let's add a zero to that over a 10-year schedule. That's over 120, that's almost 124,000 bucks, just profit to a bank. Now, how would George feel? Holly, what do you think? How would George feel if he was here giving us his thoughts on this? Well, I'd, I'd be pretty mad about it. I'm sure George would be too. I mean, you look at that. I mean, that's the interest that he paid over a 10-year time frame. So we're not even talking the last 29 years that we fast forwarded. So you wow. could even probably make an argument for multiplying that by three oh if yeah. the debt's been steady over that time period. <laughs> but let's but let's not even do that. Let's not make it, you know, worst, worst, worst case scenario. Um, you know, just this 123, you look at that or 124,000. Um, that's more than he has in his 401k. Wow. 
So he paid more to all these banks and all these financial institutions over, you know, that 10-year time frame than he was able to accumulate in his own 401k over 30 years. And which of those rate of returns were guaranteed? His 401k's rate of return or the 15.6% interest rate on his credit cards? Uh, absolutely the debt he was carrying. I mean, that's a guaranteed wow. interest that the bank will receive. <laughs> wow. Speaking of returns on his 401k, we mentioned that he was doing 3.98%, and that's being generous. That's if he's exposed to equities his entire career, which, again, we could probably drill it down even further because TDFs automatically get more conservative. So he probably got mm -hmm. less than 3.98, but let's just keep it easy for him. Do you want to add in inflation? Uh, <laughs> no. Yeah, just, uh, just the raw investment returns of this guy's account. Poor George. Poor George. Uh, oh. That means um, <laughs> at his at his uh, current year to year on his investment on his $100,000 of 401k, that means he's getting about 3.806, 3,000, 3, I'm sorry, let me read that again, $3,800 in investment uh, returns every year on his 401k. So he's make. let's, let's add it all up. He's, he's making, for the privilege of putting his money into a 401k, he's making approximately 3,800 bucks a year while at the same time, banks, credit cards, finance companies are siphoning $12,393 a year off his back. So in other words, the bottom of the bucket has holes bigger than the top for poor George by almost a factor of almost four. Yeah, well, and this goes back to what we were talking about two episodes ago, um, you know, before we started the story with liquidity in, in that idea we shared of, you know, it's all one wallet. And yeah. this idea of, it, I don't care what you're making on your 401k, and I don't care what you're making on your investments if you have more going right back out the back door uh, because you had to take on this debt because what you're putting it into isn't liquid and available to you. So does, even if, you know, George was, you know, getting the, got 12% in a handful of these years and, and maybe offset it a little bit, I mean, does it, does it matter if he's still paying $12,000 a year that's going just to the banks, never to be seen again? Yeah. Well, let's turn the tide here. Let's let's think about Sam and how Sam's done over his life. Now, he's not been perfect either. He had some health issues. He had to fix the roof. His kids weren't going to college for free either. So, Holly, tell us a bit about how Sam's played this out. Yeah, so just like George, we wanted to keep Sam also as realistic and um a, a kind of an actual case study as well. So we didn't just, you know, paint this sad, <laughs> tragic picture for George and then just, you know, made up all these wonderful, fantastic things for Sam. We also kept that uh, realistic as well as far as what someone could reasonably expect uh, starting, you know, with this bank on yourself strategy when they're 26 and how that would actually play out over a 29-year time frame. And so we actually ran, you know, policies and, and what it would look like for him. And so according to kind of the projections of what he could expect from his, whole, you know, his bank on yourself plan is that he would have uh, 2.4 million in, you know, the six of his policies combined, or actually it would probably just be the four for him and his wife because he gifted the two. Um, so in the, the four policies, two on him, two on his wife, between all those, uh, they would have 2.4 million by his age 70. And so that's how we were able to kind of approximate a, you know, $120,000 a year income if he were to, you know, live to age 95 that would last from 70 to 95. Um, so that would actually be, you know, $3 million of retirement income he would have collected over those years. And that's without 
any taxes. Yeah, yeah. No taxes. So three point three three million income. Wow. No taxes. So one hundred twenty thousand times twenty five years. That's how we got that uh, extra growth there. Yeah. yeah. Nice. So fun fact: uh, Sam was also able to, if it was still around, <laughs> collect Social Security. And if his only source of income was his policies, in addition to Social Security, he didn't pay any tax on that either. Wow, cool. Because we, his yeah. reportable taxable that's income would have been point. zero. That's a great. We should do a whole other episode on just that because that's a really great point. How about his other stuff he bought and invested with? And tell us some more about how Sam used these over the years. Yeah, so we also, you know, over the, the course of his years, he had bought and paid for eight cars using his policy. And that interest he, he would have otherwise paid, which his brother did pay, he didn't. Um, he was 48500 in interest. And so he was able to recoup almost $50,000 of interest he would have otherwise paid uh, for the cars, those medical expenses we mentioned, his vacations, and, um, you know, kind of all all the other little things he did uh, with his policy over the years. Um, He did invest in that rental property, and he used his policy for the down payment. So the down payment of that came from his policy, and um, the property ended up being cash flow positive for him, so it was enough to be able to pay off his mortgage and meet that need, um, and then also provide him with that little bit of income that we mentioned. Um, but he actually held on to that mortgage a little bit for the tax benefits. Mm, uh, he liked right. that, that that helped him out and kind of offset some of his taxable income. Um, so his house is in kind of a similar situation where he you know, could have paid off his house 15 years ago, but he actually decided to keep that on the, as well um, for you know, tax benefits and that sort of thing. Um, he also used his policy to fund for kids' college. So uh, we assumed that the average cost for each of those college educations was um, 116000 That's in current dollars, yeah, in today's dollars. Sure. Yep. yep. So as of today, you know, it would have been 116000 for each of his children. Wow. And so the amount that he would have saved an in interest on those was 97500 hmm. In interest. In interest. Wow. Yes. So, I mean, we're talking, uh, you know, another degree. <laughs> so in this case, they could have gone back and gotten their graduate degrees if they wanted. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they, they paid for it and saved interest. <laughs> wow. It's crazy. Um, and so that was by using their policies, they were able to save, save that interest. Um, not to mention the fact that they were defeating opportunity cost at every step along the way, uh, not only with college, but then also the other, the other purchases that they made because their, their money was continuing to grow you know, that and earn that compound interest, um, even while it was out of the policy, you know, paying for college, buying books, tuition, room and board, and things like that. Amazing. So really, ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, Sam, by using his policies, he had no college loans, he had no parent plus loans, no credit cards, no HELOCs, car payments or anything um, due to an outside bank. So he's truly, you know, fired his banker. Um, if he ever had one, from yeah. the sounds of it, he he fired all the banks. He became the bank, right? Yeah, exactly. So he didn't have any loans. No loans. Wow. Yeah. yeah. He was since he started early enough. He was able to use. Um, he was able to use his policies from with everything, other than his mortgage, the mortgage and the rental property. Wow. So what's the moral of the parable? You know, I guess the main question here is: Do you want to be, dear listener? Do you want to be George or Sam? If being average means being George, then get me the heck away from average. 
Mm-hmm. And I mean, I want to be Sam. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to use this bank on yourself concept and have these policies that Sam was able to use to not have to take out debts and, and be able to use them as an ultimate source of tax-free retirement income. Um, and so really, you know, we, we wanted to you know, paint this picture, share the story of how all these different things that we've talked about, these, you know, toolbox episodes we had uh, prior to to this episode, um, how they could all work together, you know, in real life. And so these bank on yourself policies, you know, they grow compound and guaranteed every year, uh, keeps your money liquid and available for all of life's emergencies and opportunities. And it gives you the chance to overcome opportunity costs like we've talked about uh, when you do need your cash because it keeps growing even on the capital that you borrow. And we really need to do an episode on exactly what you just said there, Holly, to kind of explain and unpack the power of uninterrupted compound growth while using the cash. That's going to be huge. Uh, and again, we did try to keep this accurate. And we also tried to pull from our anecdotes. The, the I think the best stories are the ones that draw from real life. So these are all parts and pieces of real people that we've talked with. Uh, obviously, no names or anything have been, all the names have been changed and everything. But this is truly pulling from the actual stories that I've seen in the lives of thousands of people uh, I've had and, and, and met con- and had conversations with over the years. Uh, and I just truly believe that there are just too many, far too many Georges out there and not enough Sams. But when folks really get the power of becoming their own source of financing, they all want to be more like Sam. If we were just to read this to anybody off the street, of course, we're going to look at Sam's story as the success story. And it starts small and it starts with the the little things. uh, But like anything truly important, it really begins to grow uh, and grow and grow over the years. So again, thank you guys for letting us kind of read this little um, parable to you. I hope it's been valuable to you. Uh, And thank you again for joining us for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.